what we're doing here is we're continuing on through the book of Colossians. We started this here in the new year, and so uh, looking forward to this particular um, passage today is kind of a, it's a big deal, okay? <laughs> uh, First Corinthians, fifth, uh, First Corinthians, no, what are we doing? Colossians, yeah. Gosh, yeah, um, it's, this is not good. Yeah, Colossians chapter 1, I did study the passage. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Uh, we're going to go uh, 15 to 23, but 15 to 20 is like this, it's like a hymn. It's written like a hymn or a poem, and it is, has the most compact theology of who Jesus is in it that I can think of in the New Testament. Uh, it's really something else. Um, but I wanted to kind of give you a sense for what the, um, what, why it would Paul be using this uh, why would he be inserting this, this, these verses at this time? Um, now, have any of you guys seen this commercial, this iPhone commercial, where you've got the two detectives sitting in the car like this, and one's out of focus, okay? Yeah, remember that? Yeah, well, I, so we have Hulu, and, and of course, you get, I get ads on Hulu, and I could, I could almost probably quote this commercial because it comes up so many times, but... Uh, the interesting thing about it is that you got the detective, they're, they're on a stakeout is what it seems like. The guy in the background, he's saying something like, um, he basically says, uh, am I out of focus? No. And then you know, he's concerned about that. And uh, then the guy in the foreground here that you can see very clearly, he's like, yes, because I'm the most important character. You know? And uh, now there's several versions of the commercial. I don't know if you know this. Okay. Just so you know. I mean, this is how much I probably watch Hulu. It's probably too much. But there are several versions of it. But anyway, just the whole idea of the most important character being in the foreground. Of course, this is something you can do with your phone. Uh, it has puts things in the background, and you can focus. They call it cinematic mode. All right. So, but why why would uh, the apostle Paul have this particular passage in uh, here? And it really has to do with focus, because there were false teachers. Uh, that were starting to influence the church there and uh, trying to basically say that, um, you know, that there was more to spirituality than Jesus, that you, know, you, you really needed to have some other knowledge, um, have some other elements to your spirituality to really get, attain a higher level. And uh, Paul was saying, no, it's really just all about Jesus, <laughs> He really is the focus. He's supposed to be in the center, in the foreground of everything in your life. And so he's basically just uh, going to really lay out in this passage why Jesus is preeminent. That word preeminent just means kind of above all else, um, supreme, superior. Okay? Uh, and so that's, that's what we're getting into do, uh, today, and that's, that's why I believe Paul's put this passage here is really combating false teaching, trying to make Jesus kind of like a, a side issue, kind of a, you know, something that is, it's okay, Jesus is good, but you know, there's more to uh, spirituality than Jesus. Uh, so let's pray before we get into the passage here and ask for God's blessing here. Heavenly Father, we are, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather. We're thankful that uh, your son Jesus has come to this earth. And uh, we just celebrate that at Christmas time, his first coming, and uh, he has indeed uh, went to the cross and died for our sins and rose again from the dead. He's now sitting at 
the right hand of God the Father. And we await his coming. We look forward to his coming. But thank you that you sent your one and only son, that we might have eternal life, that our sins might be forgiven, that those chains that we uh, sang about, could, we could be set free from sin and um, just the enslavement that sin is. And um, our relationship with sin has changed. We, we still struggle with sin, but, but it no longer has dominion over anyone who's put their faith in Jesus. And so we're so thankful for that. Father, at this time, too, as a church family, we want to lift up uh, folks in our midst who might be ill right now, whether it's with this virus that's going around or whether it is just with some other thing that they're dealing with physically. And we pray that your spirit would touch them. We pray that your spirit would um, heal them. And uh, we, we know uh, that you're able to. We ask you. We submit all of our requests to you and say, your will be done. But we ask it, Lord. We ask it. Pray that you would do it. And Lord, we also just pray, Lord, we pray that you would, uh, today, whether it's uh, here in person or whether it's online, Lord, use this time to draw us closer to you. Use this time to help us make sure that you are the focus, the end all and be all of everything that we do. And uh, Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message today is, is The Truth About Jesus, and this is really what this passage is. Um, and what I'd like to do is, if you're able to, let's read the passage together. Uh, let's, let's stand up uh, in honor of the Word of God, and let's, let's read uh, the Scripture passage together. It's, it's Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 to 23. So let's read aloud. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Now, you can take a look at this passage in a number of different ways. Uh, the way I've kind of outlined it is looking at uh, four different relationships. Four different relationships that will kind of help us learn um, the, about the preeminence of Jesus. One has to do with Jesus' relationship with God the Father. Then another one with another section here with Jesus' relationship with creation, his relationship to the church, and then specifically his relationship to the Colossians and, and to us. Okay, so that's kind of the approach I've taken this morning. And so let's take a look at the first one here that Jesus... Uh, his relationship with uh, God the Father. 
And that is, it mentions specifically there in verse 15 uh, that he is, it says he is the image of the invisible Father. He is the image of the invisible God. Sorry, the invisible God. And so Jesus is the image of God the Father, and this is kind of a lot packed in here in one little statement. Because if you don't know much about the Christian faith, uh, you need to know that there is one God expressed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? They're not three gods, there's one God in three persons. Now, how that is, I don't know. And if you can totally explain that, um, you'd probably be God. Uh, because many have tried to explain how that works. But we see uh, this, this aspect, uh, this, this, this explanation of God and who He is in the Scriptures. It doesn't use the word Trinity, but we see actually in one, in several instances, but in one setting in particular, as I've been making my way in, in my quiet times, my personal devotions with God through the book of Luke, when uh, Jesus is baptized, okay, when Jesus is baptized, you hear the voice of God the Father coming from heaven. You have the Son there, and then you have the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And so you realize there is a, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and yet we know there's one God. Okay? And what bring, I'm bringing that up because in verse 15 it says, He is the image of the invisible God. Well, God, by definition, is spirit. It doesn't have a body, okay? Uh, but uh, what we have here is uh, that the second member of the Trinity stepped down into skin and was born, right? Uh, that's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? So uh, the Son of God uh, was born, right, into flesh. And, and what it's telling us is that Jesus, uh, the Son of God, has made God visible to us. Uh, in, in a way that he's saying that you want to know what God is like, well, take a look at Jesus and how he lived and his character, okay? That's what God is like. So when it says he has the image of the invisible God, in fact, you know, you know that it says that we were created in God's image, right? That all humans were created in the image of God, and so, but that image has been marred by sin, hasn't it? Well, in Jesus' case, he was not born in sin, nor did he sin. Right? And so he's like the perfect image of God. All right? So what we have to realize here is this passage does tell us that, um, that Jesus uh, helps uh, us to understand what God is like. And, and that's the thing is that, in fact, there are other verses that mention this. If you take a look here at, at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He, speaking of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God. And listen and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But I'm really focusing in on that fact where it says there that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. And that's, what, that's what it means here in Colossians when it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so I just say to you, you know, if you want to know what God is like, the best thing you could do is pick up your Bible and read the Gospels. Read the Gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, and you will see those are like biographies of Jesus, right? And you get to learn what Jesus is like, you get to know what God the Father is like. And there are certainly many other things that we learn about God throughout all the rest of the Scripture, 
But I'm saying if you want to look at Jesus as the exact representation of God's nature, you need to dive into the Gospels. And I would encourage you to do that. If you've never read through one of those Gospels, um, and I think Mark is the shortest probably, um, you know, just, just dive in and learn and go in there with uh, a mind to say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know what you're like, the one true God. I want to know what you're like, and he will reveal himself to you. Now, there's another verse uh, here in John 14, 9, uh, where Jesus himself says, he said, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? He's speaking to Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so he's, he's responding to Philip's request to say, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, well, uh, you're looking at God in the flesh here, you know, basically. And so I, I'm just trying to bring out to you different passages that, that emphasize what this Colossians passage is teaching, is that Jesus is God, and you want to know what God is like? You learn about Jesus, okay? All right. Now, um, how is it that some people believe that Jesus is God and some people don't? The statements are here. The claims are here. What's going on? All right, well, this verse here, I think, gives some insight into it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light, listen to this, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I would just summarize that and say, God has to turn on the light in someone's heart for them to see Jesus as glorious and as God. Okay? God has to do something. He initiates uh, with a person. All right? And, uh, and anybody who has put their faith in Christ could look back over their life and they'll see how God was initiating with them uh, through individuals through teachings, through their own study of the Scriptures. He was working on their heart, and he helped them see Jesus for who he really is, the one and only Son of God and Savior of the world. And so, I, again, I just implore anyone here uh, that's, or that's listening or watching that is, is here is to say, if you're not sure who Jesus is, just ask God to show you. Ask him and say, God, I want to know the truth. Um, and, and dive in to the Scriptures, and, uh, and then he'll, she's going to show you. Okay? Um, and so, but God has to do work. It's, it's this, you know, literally he's kind of saying, you know, kind of like light shining in the darkness, right? Our hearts have to be um, open to the truth, and by nature they're, they're not. They're, they're rebellious toward God. They want to do their own thing. Um, but but ask the Lord to show you who Jesus really is. Ask him to open, uh, as the scripture says, the eyes of your heart that you might see who Jesus really is. Because the scripture does plainly say who he is and what his claims were. It's just a matter of uh, the person who receives them and accepts them is the one whom God is at work in their heart. All right? Now, um, second thing that we see here um, in verses 15 to 17 is that Jesus is Lord over all creation. 
He's Lord over all creation. Now, there's a lot of things in this passage. Let me just remind you of what verses 15 to 17 say. And if you have them there in your Bible, open to Colossians 1 or on your device. I encourage you to look at that. So verses 15 to 17, Colossians 1, says, He is the image of the invisible God. That says, The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And in verse 17 it says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And do you see how that unit of three verses talks just all about creation and Jesus' relationship to creation, right? Um, and so the first thing is, when you think about uh, Jesus' uh, relationship to creation, is that the Son of God, Jesus, created all things, right? I mean, it, it stated that there. It says, by him, verse 16, by him all things were created, right? Uh, and, and it mentions, it gives these pairings, you know, everything on heaven and earth, everything visible and invisible. What's it talking about there? Well, there are things, uh, there's a realm we cannot see, the spiritual realm. God created that, okay? Uh, angels, right? All that. And then, of course, some angels fell and became demons. And, you know, that's a real realm, okay? And so it says that, you know, he created that, uh, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, and all things, again, he says, all things were created through him. Now, uh, the other thing that we pick up on is not, that Jesus, not just that Jesus was involved in creating everything, but it says that they were created for him. I, that's an interesting way to say it, isn't it? That all Because it says there, um, at the end of verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. In other words, the purpose of all creation is pointing to Jesus Christ. And all creation is meant to glorify Him. And as I think about that, well, I'm one of God's creation. You're one of God's creation, okay? Uh, We are made for a purpose. And our purpose is found in Him, okay? And this is the thing, is that... um, in Jesus, you find your purpose, and you're made complete. You're, you're not really, in a sense, whole until you find Jesus. And when you put your faith in Him, you're made complete, and you found, find your purpose in Him. And all your life then becomes about Him and His desire for your life. And also, it's just not just about doing His bidding, but basically when you live for Him, you are living according to your design. That's how you were made. You and I were made uh, for God to be central in our lives and to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to live for Him. That's where you find uh, your purpose. And so I say, you know, stop looking in other places that always turn you up empty. They prom- that can be promising. Things promise fulfillment and purpose. Uh, and uh, wonderful life and all this, but but they come up short. Um, they overpromise and underdeliver, and Jesus never does. Okay, um, we find our hope in Him and our purpose in Him, and, and so I just encourage you again. Um, this whole uh, time today is going to be imploring you to put Christ first and prominent uh, and preeminent in your life because that's the place He deserves. And because that's where you're going to have your purpose, and that's where you're going to be fulfilled, and in no other 
way uh, will you? All right. Now, um, the other thing that is mentioned here is that Jesus' power was not only used in creating the world, and all of his creation is not just pointing to him, but it says that he holds it together. Okay? <laughs> I don't know. How does that happen, right? Well, if he created it, he can certainly sustain it, right, uh, by the word of his power. He created the world with, it, with the word, right, and then he can sustain it by his word. If he wanted all of this to exist and just fade to nothing, he could snap his fingers and it would be so, okay? And this is what that verse says there. It says in verse 17, um, and in him all things hold together. Literally, all things hold together because the sun is holding it together, okay? Yes, there are molecules, there are atoms, and they, they uh, work together to form, is it compounds? I don't know. I got a science, we got a science teacher or something. Like, you know, and you make things with those things, right? But who made the things that things are made of? It's him, right? And if he doesn't want those little electrons and neutrons to be working the way they are, they are, he can change it, okay, and it would not exist. And so this is this is the this is our Lord. This is Jesus, okay. Um, now, there is a phrase in there in this passage that gets people riled, um, and there is a cult that teaches that Jesus is a created being. Okay, uh, if you take a look here. Um, in the passage, verse 15, at the end of the part of the verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, listen, the firstborn of all creation. It sounds like he's like the first one who was created, doesn't it? Okay. Well, you have to know your Bible a little bit here. You have to know that firstborn is used in a number of different ways. Okay. Firstborn doesn't necessarily mean actually, you know, born, and then you were the first son or daughter or whatever, okay? Um, or the first one born into the family, right? It, it, in the Bible, it doesn't always refer to, to uh, people that way. Now, many times it does. And let me give you an instance where uh, it's talking about using the word firstborn, but does not mean, like, born the first in line, okay? And that is talking about King David. Uh, Psalm 89, verse 27, it says, of King David, speaking of King David, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Well, was David the firstborn? No, in fact, he was the youngest of all the sons, right? So he wasn't first in order, but he was first in prominence, the greatest, okay? And so this is what we need to realize. He he is over, you know, speaking of David, he is uh, the most exalted kings on all the earth, being firstborn in the sense that means he was the preeminent king, okay? So realize that word firstborn um, has different connotations in the scripture, and one of them is that it means preeminent, right? And so, um, and really, probably a better way to say this phrase, um, the firstborn of all creation, would be maybe... Um, preeminent over all creation, or you could say firstborn over all creation. Something like that so it's not so confusing, okay? Um, but there is a cult that says that this is, a, this is a proof text for that Jesus is a created being. He's really not God. At best, he's a lesser God, 
or something like that. Okay? But that's not what the passage is saying. Right? So we need, we need to realize that. Okay? Um, the other thing, too, is just the fact if you, if you read down to verse 17, where it says, he is before all things, you come to the conclusion that he's not created because if he's before everything, anything ever was that was created, then he's not a created being. Okay? I'm just, just saying that's one, another way uh, to show that Jesus is not a created being. And this is important, right? Because, again, what is Paul doing? Paul's laying down the truth about Jesus. The Colossians were uh, potentially falling prey to some heresy, some heretical teaching that was saying Jesus is less than what he really is. Okay? So he's making this case. He's saying this is what the case is. Jesus is preeminent over all creation. Right? He holds it together, um, and he's the one who created it. And so this is, again, just another reason why Jesus is uh, preeminent. All right, so let's take a look at the next section here. Jesus is the head of the church. Um, he's, he's Lord over the church. If he's Lord over all creation, and now he's Lord over the church, okay? Lord over the church. Now, let's, let me remind you again of those verses 18 to 20, which say, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Okay? Now, so just as Jesus is supreme and preeminent over creation, so he's also uh, what it mentions here as the head of the body, right? Now, um, many times in the scriptures, uh, Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ, right? The body. So this is a metaphor we're used to in church life is that this is the body of Christ. It's, it's the, the church is the, referred to as the body. And you can see this in Romans chapter 12, verse 5. It says, so we, though many, he's talking to Christians, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Okay? So he's saying all Christians everywhere, all true believers are one body. We might have little individual local congregations, but all true believers make up one body, the body of Christ. And so Paul's using that language to say Jesus is the head of that body. Now, what does that mean? Well, certainly, if anything, it means he has authority over the church. He is the authority over the church. Any church leader that exists is just a ser supposed to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ serving that local body. It's not my church, it's his church, okay? That's important. Uh, and then he leads the church, right? He leads the church in the direction God wants it to go. Um, you know, think about your, your, you know, your brain is in your head. It's, uh, you know, it is the nerve center and, you know, it, it tells your body to do things and go places and go, you know, whatever. And so Jesus being the head of the body is the one who should be leading the church, okay? And we should always be seeking his direction and what he has already said, what his will is for the church, but we should be looking to his leadership, right? And also, we should see that Jesus is the one who supplies the church with power and energy to grow. It's 
power and energy to grow. Now, where am I getting that from? Um, well, uh, there's a couple of verses here in Ephesians chapter 4 where, uh, again, Paul, speaking to a different church, says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That we're supposed to grow in Christ. We're supposed, that's, that's a phrase used in, in, in the Bible to say, you know, spiritual growth, growing in Christ. Okay? Now, then it goes on to say, uh, from whom, okay, now it's talking about Jesus, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so we see Jesus as being here the source of the power to grow, and he sustains and gives the church everything it needs to accomplish its mission here on the earth. I mean, I hope you're getting that. You see the fact that Jesus is everything to the church. It's all, you know, you hear this phrase, it's all about Jesus. It really is, okay? It really is. Our lives, the purpose of this church is all to bring glory to Jesus, to help others know him uh, and to be known by him. And, and every time someone does, he gets more glory. Okay, that's what it's for, right? We're not here to have a social club and, and all that. And it, we're here to encourage one another, to help each other grow in the faith and to support each other and love each other and do all the one another's that the Scriptures tell us to, right? Um, but even in that, the end is for Jesus. Okay? It's for Him. Okay? And that's what Paul is saying. Jesus is not a sideshow. He's the big central deal, okay? All right. Now, um, there's some more stuff in here in this, in this little few verses that also cause people some consternation. Okay, I decided I'm not sidestepping these. I'm just going to hit them head on. However, there's a lot more that could be said about these. Okay, I'm just saying. Now, the one is the phrase firstborn from the dead. Firstborn from the dead. Well, you heard me say earlier that Jesus rose from the dead, right? Uh, he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. The resurrection is key to Christianity. With no, without the resurrection, we're wasting our time. Totally serious. Christianity is a farce if the resurrection did not happen. That's why you need to, ha you have to really uh, wrestle with the resurrection, okay, because it's either true or it's not. If it's true, uh, we are giving our lives to the Lord, uh, to the true one Lord of the universe. If it's not, then he's, this dot, he's dead and in the ground just like Buddha or anybody else, okay? But he's alive. Okay, now, Firstborn from the dead means the first to rise from the dead and never die again, okay? Uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, right? But he died like we all will one day. You know, Lazarus died later. Uh, but because Jesus has risen from the dead, all believers in Christ to one day will rise from the dead never to die again, okay? That's what it, he's the firstborn from the dead. In other words, he was the first one, okay, in this sense, the first one, the preeminent one to, to raise from the dead and never die again. He leads the way, okay? No one's ever done that, okay? He's shown that he has power over death, okay? And so uh, it says here, and let's see how this relates to us as believers, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
in verses 20 to 23. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised. So there was some question going around there whether Christ really had been raised from the dead. Paul tells the Corinthians, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And here's how he describes it. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It's like he's, he's leading the way. The first fruits is the first one to go, right? Um, fall, of those who have fallen asleep, which is just a way of saying they died. Uh, for, as, for as by a man came death, who's the man? Adam. Adam, right? The first man sinned. And from then on, we've all been infected, if we can say, with sin. Been born in sin. Sin has consequences, separation from God. We're all born this way now, okay? So through that one man, Adam, death came. And it says, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Well, that's the man, Jesus, okay? Because we're drawing this contrast. For as in Adam all die, okay? so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And all means all those who will believe, okay? All those who will believe in Christ will be made alive in Christ. Then it says, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. He was the first one. Rise from the dead and never die again, right? And then it says, then at his coming, when Jesus comes back, the second coming, uh, then will follow those who belong to Christ. Okay? He's saying there's an order here. Christ went first and those uh, will rise from the dead who have died in Christ, okay? Um, died being believers, they'll rise. So his resurrection guarantees ours. Got it? So that's, that's all it means, firstborn from the dead. That's what that means. He went, a, he went ahead of us in the first one to raise and not die again. Now, <laughs> there's another phrase in verse 20 that really uh, has spun off some false teaching, and that is, let me remind you of verse 20. It says, talking about Jesus, it says, through him to reconcile to himself all things, okay? So some people will use that phrase that, that Jesus is, gonna, is reconciling to himself all things to mean that everybody eventually will be in heaven. Everybody will be there. Uh, this is what's known as universalism. It's a false teaching, okay? First of all, you read a ton of other places in the Scripture that there is a heaven, there is a hell, Okay? And we don't see anyone uh, getting out of hell and going into heaven, okay? There's none of that, all right? So, but also, um, if you can try to explain something from within a letter, I think it's a, the best way to do it. There's a place in Colossians chapter 3 that helps us see that this idea of all can mean just all, uh, all of a limited group, Okay? Just real, I'm just going to go there real quick. Colossians chapter 3, okay? Um, Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. So same letter now, same letter to the same group of people. And let's take a look here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, and, uh, it says, and, have, put, and, and have put on the new self. He's talking to believers, right? Um, as a believer, um, we, are, we are called a new creation, okay? Um, I still have my same personality, but... God's created me new, spiritually speaking. I'm a new man. You're a new woman. If you put your faith in Christ, you're a, a new creation, okay? He changes us from the inside out, right? And, he's, and, and, and the whole process, it takes a lifetime, <laughs> okay? 
Um, in fact, uh, you know, in the book of Philippians, it talks about how, in chapter 1, verse 6, how that will come to a completion, okay, when Christ comes back. So we're all in a growth uh, curve here. If you put your faith in Jesus, you may have been made new, and then you're going to be growing in Christ-likeness until the day you die, okay? Now, so it says, having been put on the new self, so this is the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay, so he's, he's talking to believers. They've been made new. Uh, they're becoming more and more conformed to the image of God. And then in verse 11, it says, here, here, talking about the church, those group of believers, the ones who have been made new. Here, there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, he's broken down these barriers between these people groups or whatever. He's saying it's not about that. Your identity is you're in Christ. That's who your identity is. Okay? It's not that you came from Greece. It's not that you came from America. It's that you're a believer. This is what he, he's, talking, he's talking to believers, okay? And he says, look at that last phrase, but we are all Christ is all and in all. Is he saying that Christ is in everyone, even unbelievers, even in Satan? No. he's Because he's saying within the context that this is the all he's speaking of is all believers. Okay? And I'm saying this is how he intended that verse 20 in chapter 1 to me when it says, he threw him to reconcile to him all things. Okay? Right, now, He's doing other things in reconciliation besides human beings. He's going to reconcile creation, okay? Because creation hasn't been affected by the fall. Everything is, 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 is going to disorder, okay, um, right now. And it has been since the fall. Sin affected creation. Read Romans chapter 1. It tells you that, okay? So, we need, just want you to see this, that Paul's not claiming that everybody's going to heaven now Okay, because of what Jesus did. Only those who put their faith in him. Okay? It's not, there's not, universalism is a lie. It's a kinder, gentler type of religion, right? If we're all going, then who cares, man? Live it up, right? It doesn't matter what you do, right? The, you know, any of that. So, um, so anyway, just, just realize that Colossians 1.20 is not speaking of universalism. He's using that word all in the same sense he was in Colossians chapter 3, believers. There's actually other ways to think about that passage without using Colossians 3, but we don't have time for that today, okay? <laughs> so there's, but there's different ways of looking at that to, to reconcile it, the passage, with the rest of Scripture, which basically says, you know, the only way you're going to heaven uh, and the only way you're going to be reconciled to God is through Jesus Christ, through believing in Him. You reject Jesus, you've rejected that reconciliation, and then you pay the penalty yourself. All right, so we've gone through this, and we've looked at Jesus' relationship with God, with God the Father, right? We've looked at Jesus' relationship with creation, right? He's Lord over all creation. We've also seen that Jesus uh, is Lord over the church. He's preeminent there, right? And now we get to the last part here, these last few verses, uh, which say this. It says, Jesus is the Savior. He's, he, he, he now addresses specifically the, the Colossians. In fact, listen, you notice how he, he's switching. He says, verse 21, and you, he says, and you 
who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He's, he's kind of giving you a before picture. He says, because and you, and you Colossians, or are you any person who's a believer in Jesus now? You once were alienated from God. You were separated from God because of your sin. You were hostile in your mind towards God, doing evil deeds. And then in verse 22 it says, He, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In other words, how do we get right with God? How do you get reconciled with God? Well, something had to happen first, and that is Jesus had to die on the cross as our substitute in our place. His body was an offering, okay? All of those Old Testament sacrifices really did not take away, uh, ultimately, the sins of the people. They were all pointing toward the ultimate sacrifice that would take place on the cross, and that is the perfect Lamb of God, another name for Jesus, okay? Jesus died on that cross. So it says, how we reconciled, uh, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In other words, Jesus did all the work. <laughs> he died on the cross so that you could be reconciled to God. And if you will believe in him and put your faith in him, you will be reconciled to God and you, he will consider you as holy and blameless and above reproach. Okay? Because Jesus took God's wrath, right, that was meant for you. And then it says, now listen, there's a condition here in verse 23. So all this is true. He's saying, hey, you believers, you were this way, now you're this way, reconciled to God. And then he puts a condition. He says, if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard. In other words, don't make Jesus less than he is because that's not the real gospel. If, you're, if you believe in that, then you never really believed. You got that? That's important. He's trying to say, listen, hang on to the one true gospel I gave you. Don't let these false teachers come in and, and tell you Jesus is anything less than what he really is. The one who's preeminent over creation, the one who's preeminent over the church, the one who's preeminent over your life, the one who saved you. You were good and lost and headed for hell. And he said, but Christ came and made a way for you to be reconciled to God. And so he, he's imploring them not to, to continue in the faith, to be steadfast. Don't shift away from the hope of the gospel. He says, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Jesus is the goal, you guys. I mean, if you haven't gotten that from this time, you've fallen asleep, okay? Because that's this entire passage. Jesus is the central one in all of our lives. He deserves and demands um, that we put him in the proper place, at the center, at the center of our relationships, at the center of our marriages, at the center of our work life. Okay? And... Um, just one last time, I'll just encourage you, if you've not put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and accepted what he did on the cross for you, like we just talked about, to, to make it so you could be made right with God. Okay? Jesus himself, I mean, you have to deal with what he said. Jesus said, here are the words of Jesus. He said, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. And then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. What does that mean? Does that mean there's ten other ways to heaven? No. How many ways? One way, Jesus. I didn't make it up. <laughs> I'm just telling you what it says. Tell you what the truth is. Tell you what the truth is. All right, so I, I just encourage you to, to put Christ at the center of your life. Accept him into the life as your Lord and Savior. Ask for his forgiveness to make you right with God. And he will. He honors his promises. He says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. In other words, if you accept who Jesus is, what the scriptures say about him, and then ask for his forgiveness and to, to make you right with God, he promises you will become, you, you are at that moment a child of God. That moment, he's, he promises it. It's believing. You don't you not work your way to heaven. No works would be good enough. Only the works of the Son of God and His offering on the cross could ever do that and make us right with God. Isn't it great? You don't have to work your way. <laughs> the work has been done. Now we just, um, as believers, are to live our lives for Him. Right? We can never pay Him back, but as, as being the preeminent one central to our lives, we want to give our lives to Him and live our lives His way. Heavenly Father, we're thankful, so thankful that uh, we have the Scriptures here. We, we can know who Jesus is. He's not just a nice guy. He wasn't just a great teacher. Um, he wasn't just a great teacher, and um, there are so many ways to think about how Jesus could not have been just a great teacher, um, but there's no way he could have been. He claimed to be God. He was either a crazy man or he was the Son of God. <laughs> um, and I can't imagine all these disciples being martyred for what they knew was a lie. But they knew it was true. Jesus was the Son of God. Lord, thank you um, just for this time together. We just pray that Christ would have the proper place in all of our lives, in every area of our life preeminent one, the one who's supreme, who deserves first place in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.